Psalm 46. Martin Luther was a Roman Catholic priest who became increasingly disillusioned with the, the church its teachings, and its practices. So on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. Those 95 theses were were propositions for debate to argue against the sale of indulgences by the church. Now indulgences were were payments made to the church to reduce your punishment for sin, of course, according to the Roman church. But that event is now considered to be the beginning of the Protestant Reformation as we know it. In subsequent years, Martin Luther came to the conviction that justification before God is by faith alone, through grace alone, in Jesus Christ alone. So he taught and he wrote of those Bible truths. But then on April 17th, 1521, Martin Luther was ordered to the great hall of the palace of the bishop in Wittenberg, Germany. Several thousand spectators gathered to witness Luther's testimony. And with great intimidation, Martin Luther was asked to recant his many writings. So Martin Luther requested a respite of one day, giving him time for consideration. On April 18th, 1521, Martin Luther appeared a second time before that diet or that court. And after waiting for two hours outside the great hall, he was admitted and asked once again, wilt thou defend all the books which thou dost acknowledge to be thine or recant some parts? And with humility and firmness, Martin Luther answered, unless I am refuted and convicted by the testimonies of the scriptures, or by clear arguments, I, I am conquered by the holy scriptures quoted by me, and my conscience is bound in the word of God. I cannot, and I will not, recant anything, since it is unsafe and a dangerous thing to do anything against the conscience. Amidst the excitement of, of that threatening audience, Martin Luther then finished with his famous words, Here I stand. After some days of deliberation, Martin Luther was declared to be a heretic by Pope Leo X and by Emperor Charles V. Luther was labeled an outlaw, requiring his arrest. So then on May 4th, 1521, Martin Luther was abducted. He was abducted by friends who took him to Wartburg Castle to hide in safety. And there for 10 months, Martin Luther lived there under the alias of Knight George. In fact, he even changed his appearance, uh, dressing like a knight to avoid being discovered. And during that time, in hiding at Wartburg Castle, Martin Luther translated the New Testament into the German language. Despite the great danger to his person, Luther eventually left Wartburg Castle and returned to Wittenberg in 1522. In his absence, the young Philip Melanchthon had taken over the work of reform there in that city. It is reported that during the dark days of the Reformation, Martin Luther would turn to his friend and his co-worker, Philip Melanchthon. And this is what Martin Luther would say. He would say, come, Philip, let's sing 
the 46th Psalm. And then they would sing Luther's hymn. Of course, we know it as a mighty fortress is our God, the hymn that we just sung, taken from Psalm 46. And Luther explained this. I've copied it for you there in your notes. He says, we sing this psalm to praise of God because God is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends his church and his word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil, and against all the assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin. So this evening, our study of Psalm 46 can serve to comfort us as well as it did Martin Luther. Let me pause for prayer. Oh God in heaven, we thank you for the occasion this evening to gather together once again to sing and to study. Lord, I thank you for this ancient psalm. I thank, thank you for how you've used it to encourage and comfort your people through the ages. And now this evening, God, we ask for the same for us. Lord, our hearts are perhaps fearful. Lord, we feel perhaps overwhelmed in time of trouble. We wanna seek refuge in you. I pray that your spirit would help us to understand these things as we read the scripture. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Psalm 46, it's open before you. It's been read once, but look again at verse number one with me. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah. This evening, I would ask you where you go when you need help. Where you go when you're in trouble. Where do you turn when you're afraid? When everything around you is falling apart, and crumbling and threatens to bring you down as well. Well, we go to a person or a place that is bigger than better and better than us. We go to a place that's stronger and smarter than we are. We run to a parent or a pastor or a policeman. We go to the doctor or lawyer or banker. We find family and friends who help provide for us and protect us when we are in trouble. And there's nothing wrong with those people and those places. We're grateful for them and and the help that they've provided for us along the way. But perhaps you come to me and you say, Pastor Matt, I need help. What should I do with my circumstance? What if I were to answer you, "I, I don't know. I actually don't know what to tell you. I don't know what you should do. I'm of no help to you there's nothing I can do. You see, folks, in fact, that is more common than not. Many times people seek out the counsel of a pastor, but I'm no smarter than you are. In fact, many times you're the smarter one. You're asking me for counsel, and I don't know what to do. Brief story here this evening. I received a phone call from my son. He says, Dad, you'll never believe what happened. He says, I was, uh, this weekend, I was in the woods on a hike with some friends, and we found a gun in the woods. He says, the gun was loaded. It was a Glock 43X fully loaded. He says, I didn't know what to do, but I knew how to disarm a gun, 
So I emptied the magazine, the chamber, and he says, uh, didn't know what to do with it, so, so I took it back to college with me. <laughs> Across state lines from North Carolina to South Carolina. And he says, I didn't know what to do with it, so I asked for help. I said, really? Are you kidding me? Why didn't you call? He says, so I asked for help, and they told me I probably shouldn't have brought the gun across state lines. (laughs) Really, you think? So he says, I took it back across state lines to turn it into the police department there, but the police department that I went to said they didn't know what to do with it, so they sent me to a different police department. And there at this second police department across state lines, they, they, they took the weapon and they took his information and he signed a statement and they gave him a receipt and, and he says, Dad, aren't you proud of me? <laughs> I said, son, next time you find a loaded gun in the woods, call me right away or call 911 right away or, or something other than what you, well, I didn't know, Right? If you call me with some bizarre circumstance, I may not know what to do. I'm happy to pray with you, read scripture with you, I'll counsel you the best I can, but where do you go for help when you don't know what to do? For the psalmist in Psalm 46, number one in your notes, the refuge is God's person. The refuge is God's person. And the psalmist identifies God himself as his stronghold and his strength. First letter A, stronghold. The refuge is God's person first, stronghold. A stronghold is a go-to place for protection. It's a safe house where you go when you, when you need to find shelter. And, and I think first in, in my mind, um, I think of Masada. Perhaps you're familiar with Masada. It's a mountaintop fortress in, in the Judean wilderness of southeastern Israel near the Dead Sea where the Jews made their last stand against the Romans after the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. The Hebrew word Masada means fortress a stronghold. And David wrote of this very same theme in Psalm 18, verse two, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my Masada and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, Psalm 18, verse two. In Proverbs 18, verse number 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Martin Luther found a stronghold at Wartburg Castle. And there he enjoyed provision and protection as a guest of Frederick III of Saxony, there in that place. And and the first century Jews found a stronghold at Masada and, and resisted the siege of the Romans for a time. Where would you go? Who would you call? Where have you gone? And perhaps you can name a a circumstance in your life, an occasion when you had to seek shelter or safety or protection at a hard time in your life. The first, person that, the first people that come to my mind are, are mom and dad. You call mom and dad. In my case, I can't call my mom and dad. They've gone on to, to heaven. The first place that comes to my mind is, is home. But maybe your home is the place of trouble. So who do you call and where do you go? Many times people and places are not enough because our circumstance is too big for them. The psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength. Stronghold, letter A. Letter B, strength, strength. Now, we find the word strength in verse number one. However, you see it there, refuge and strength. Stronghold and strength, I'm calling it for the sake of my alliteration. But 
I'm looking beyond verse number one in the word strength. I'm looking in verse number two. Therefore, we will not fear. And many times, we don't need physical provision or a physical place to protect us from threats around us. We need inner peace. We need strength when our hearts are afraid within us. In fact, if you're one who marks in your Bible, draw a circle around the word strength and a circle around the word fear, and I think we could connect those two ideas. When we are afraid, we need our heart to be strengthened within us, and that's our story. For our minds and our hearts battle fear every day. We worry about money. Will we be able to afford to raise our kids? The answer is no. (laughs) Will we be able to afford Retirement, will we be prepared for retirement? I just read this week that Social Security is running out of money in 10 years, in the year 2033. Have you read that? We fear or worry about people. The fear of man, what does so-and-so think of me? Are my children gonna do the right thing? What if my boss doesn't like my proposal? We worry about physical health. Oh, we may be healthy today, but at least with my family history, that could change any day. We worry about America. The foundations are crumbling all around us, and we fear what will be. So what do we do when our heart is afraid? Where do we turn? We turn to the Lord, and even if there is a tidal wave of trouble, you see it there in verse three, that tidal wave of trouble that washes over us, even if there, if there is an earthquake there at the end of verse number three and everything is shaking around us or below us, our refuge is in God, our stronghold and our strength. You're familiar with the late missionary legend Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot suffered the loss of of two husbands. The first, of course, we know as Jim Elliot. He was killed by the Aka Indians in Ecuador. The second, Addison Leach, died of cancer. And in recounting those losses, Elizabeth Elliot wrote a book uh, titled Facing the Death of Someone You Love, Twice a Widow, And she wrote this, and I've copied it for you there. Everything that seemed most dependable has given way. Mountains are falling. Earth is reeling. In such a time, it is a profound comfort to know that although all things seem to be shaken, one thing is not. God is not shaken. Selah. Stop and think about that. Think about Psalm 46, verses one through three. God is our refuge and strength, the very present time, help in in trouble. Even though the earth be removed, the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though its mountains shake with its swelling. Think about that. God is not shaken. Think about the times when you've had nowhere to turn but God. Verse number four. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. 
The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Number one, the refuge is God's person. The refuge is God's person. Number two, the river is God's presence. The river is God's presence, and you see it there in verse number four. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. Most scholars agree that the river that's referenced in verse number four is the Gihon Spring, which is located deep in the ground, below the, the surface of the earth, on the south side of the Temple Mount in the Kidron Valley. It was Jerusalem's most ancient water source, However, it was, oppo- it was exposed to enemy attack. Therefore, King Hezekiah of Judah diverted the spring by creating a 1,777-foot-long tunnel hewn out of a solid rock. It brought the spring into a reservoir inside the city's walls to provide water for the city in a way that the enemy would never know. Today, you may be familiar with Hezekiah's tunnel. It's the river that was hewn out of the rock there into the city. Throughout the fearful siege of Sennacherib and the Assyrians, there was a river whose streams made glad the city of God. Without Hezekiah's tunnel providing water for the holy city of Jerusalem at that time, the the people wouldn't have lasted a a month or two. They, They would have been starved out if you will, but instead that secret river kept the city strong while being besieged by the Assyrians. And in poetic language here, I believe the the psalmist is saying that that God is in the midst of that, that river, meaning the river was a God thing, meaning that God used the river to sustain his people and And in fact, we could make the the same claim for every circumstance. God is in our midst. He is moving. He is working. He is providing. He is supplying. Maybe it's the crisis on the job. God is in the midst. Maybe it's your trouble at home. God is in the midst. Maybe there is a circumstance that is a threat to your well-being. God is in the midst Stop and think about that. Selah. Think of the times when God has has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. God has promised to always be with you in your midst. Think about an experience in your life when you were in crisis, but God sustained you in a special way. Think about that. Verse number seven, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. You might recognize that as the chorus or the refrain. Verse seven is repeated in verse number 11. The Lord of hosts there, Yahweh Sabaoth. It's the the name Yahweh uh, Sabaoth is found 261 times in the Old Testament. It refers to the angelic armies of God who always prevail, the Lord of hosts. Jehovah Sabaoth. Finally, verse number eight. Come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. 
Selah. If the refuge is God's person, the river is God's presence. Number three, the ruler is God's power. The ruler is God's power. Now, think of the atom with me. The existence of the atom is a mystery to scientists. The only explanation they can give to the phenomenon of the atom is what they call the strong nuclear force. It's unknown what force holds or binds an atom together and keeps it from flying apart. But folks, if, if you read your Bible, if you know your God, Hebrews 1 verse 3, God upholds all things with the word of his power. Colossians 1:17 tells us that he holds all things together. And so while creation is held together by the word of his power, the, the day will come when that same creative and sustaining power will be the power that conquers all and reigns over all. One Bible commentator wrote that when verse 9 says he makes wars to cease, to the ends of the earth. You see it there in verse number nine? It's not presenting God as a peace negotiator, but rather a conquering king who will crush the enemy with his power. You're familiar with Revelation 19. Now out of his mouth goes a a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so consequently, we can stand still and see the salvation of the Lord as Moses was was told at, at, at the Red Sea. Or as the psalmist wrote in verse number 10, be still and know that I am God, I will be exalted. Now, verse number 10, perhaps a key verse, a favorite verse in Psalm 46. We, we often interpret verse 10 as teaching us to live in a contemplative way, in some posture of meditation. Maybe we should live off the grid and enjoy the silence of some remote place to escape turmoil in solitude. But rather, to quote Elizabeth Elliot again, it means lay down your arms, surrender, and acknowledge that God is the one and only victorious God. I'll put it another way. Stop fussing and fighting when you watch the news. That's the Pastor Matt paraphrase. We don't need to take up a torch and start a revolution and burn everything to the ground. We can stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. We can be still and know that God is God. And that's the way King Hezekiah, the one who built Hezekiah's tunnel, it's in fact the way that King Hezekiah prayed when Sennacherib and the Assyrians were attacking Jerusalem. Turn with me to 2 Kings 19. Will you do that? 2 Kings 19, briefly. Allow me to read some of this narrative. In 2 Kings 19, Hezekiah went into the house of the Lord. And I'd like to pick up in verse number 15. You follow as I read. 2 Kings 19, verse number 15. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. And said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God. You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open our eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. 
Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods in the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they, are des- they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand and all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. Verse 20, then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. You see then perhaps the following verses are formatted in a different way as, as God is speaking. But if, if you turn to verse, if you look ahead to verse 32. Therefore says the Lord, that's Yahweh, concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way he came, by the same shall he return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. Now it came to pass, as he worshipped in the temple of Nishrach, his god, that his sons there struck him down with the, the sword and escaped in the land of Ararat, and his son reigned in his place. Turn back to Psalm 46. Folks, there may be a circumstance in your life that is exploding or imploding, the best help that I can offer you is not any help that I can offer you, but rather it's to point you to the Lord. In case you missed the point of verse number one, it's the refrain of the chorus in verse number seven. It's also reported, re- repeated in verse number 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Now, as time allows here, I'd like us to turn back to 2 Kings. Do that again. Go to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. And I'd like to conclude with a case study other than Hezekiah's story, but in 2 Kings chapter number 6, let me offer you another relevant and applicable case study, 2 Kings 6, beginning in verse number 8. Now, the king of Syria. Now, don't confuse Assyria, Sennacherib, with Syria. In this case, it's King Ben-Hadad of Syria. Sennacherib was warring against the southern kingdom of Judah. In this case, King Ben-Hadad of Syria is making war against Israel. And he consulted with his servants, this is 2 Kings 6, verse number 8, saying, my camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him and he was watchful there not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing and he called his servants and and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? Meaning, who among us is a traitor? 
Who among us is leaking information to the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, this is the man of God, the prophet Elisha, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. What you are saying in secret, the prophet, the man of God, Elisha, is leaking to the king of Israel. So he said, go and see where he is, that's Elisha, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, surely he is in Dothan, therefore... He sent horses and chariots and a great army there and they came by night, surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God, when Elijah's servant arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots and his servant said to him, alas, my master, what shall we do? We're in trouble. We're under siege. All is lost. What do we do? Verse 16, so he said, do not fear. Really? Do not fear, Why? For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Really? And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You read these Old Testament accounts and it's remarkable the refuge that God provided for his people. And sometimes it's hard for us to bridge the millennia and to think, yeah, Pastor Matt, that's all good and well for Bible stories, but you don't understand my circumstance today. Well, perhaps not, but I would point you back to Psalm 46 and the refuge that God can provide. Or from his hymn, Martin Luther wrote, did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. You're a loser if you're leaning on your own understanding. You're a loser if you're confiding in your own strength. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Just ask who that may be. Who's that is the question. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name. Yahweh Sabaoth, Lord of hosts. From age to age the same. And he shall win the battle. Folks, the best pastoral counsel that I could ever give to you would be this. Go to God in your trouble. Pour out your heart before him. Weep and plead and pray. He will help you. He will fight for you, even if or when you can't see it. Let's pray. God in heaven, we confess that many times we lean upon our own understanding and we confide in our own strength Lord, I pray that you would remind us to always cast our care upon you, that you are a shelter in the time of storm, and that you care for us as your own. Lord, forgive us for our fear, our worry. Lord, as we look at the circumstances around us, they, they appear to be so threatening. Lord, it feels like the foundations are, are trembling. We're drowning in the the deluge of, of life circumstance. 
But God, we know that you are our refuge and strength, and we thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen.